0: Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Sorry, guys. Glad, Jackie. Hey, the Lord's good, though. The Lord's good. Um, we're back in Romans. Romans 8. I am excited. Um, I am excited, and I just want to start. I don't want to, um, like, focus all the attention on me, but I do want to testify Um of just a personal work that God has done in my life this week. Um, This has been one of the best weeks I've had in a long time. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It's not one of the best weeks because everything's gone right and there were no problems and there was nothing to be discouraged about. There was actually a lot of different things that, um, a lot of lies, a lot of... uh, I guess temptation, things like that. Maybe not the heaviest, but, but there was a lot of fighting this week, spiritual warfare, fighting for the truth happening this week. But it was the best week in a long time because, as many of you know, I, I, I struggle with discouragement and depression and mental health, stuff like that. And, and I have for almost as long as I can remember. But this week, there was a freedom to trust the Lord like I haven't experienced in a long time where I was able to observe the chaos of the storm of life, so many things that need resolution, so many things that need to be attended to, so many things that need to be faced, problems that need to be solved, areas I need to improve, um, so many. But this week, I was able to sit with the Lord in the eye of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, and again and again and again just say, God, I am going to trust that you are leading me, and you are with me, and if I need to address something, you're going to bring it into focus, but I am just going to pursue what is right in front of me, and I'm going to trust you with it, and maybe that sounds so simple. Maybe that sounds, and I'm not, I'm not capturing the freedom that, that I have been living in this week, and um. Part of that is what we're talking about today in Romans 8, and I hope you're there, and I hope the Lord uses it in your life like he's used it in mine. Um, This this passage has been a great encouragement to me this week, Um, and and I love that. I'm so thankful that God has not let me come to you today simply to teach you um, what I've studied, but I, I come to teach what God has done in my life this week. Amen. And it's His Word. It's not just my experience. It's His Word, but His Word has had work in me this week. Amen. And that is a glorious thing. That is a glorious thing. And so I trust the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mona. Praise God. Let's praise God. Um, I hope the Spirit uses it in a similar way to bless you today, beloved. So, so Romans 8. We are, we're kind of... Um, Hopping through Romans 8 like once a month, so it's hard to remember everything we've talked about in the past, so I'll do a a little brief summary, but um, we've been talking about the spirit versus the flesh, and that when we were um, without Christ, before we believed, we were trapped in the flesh. All we could do was serve the desires of the flesh, and the flesh, this earthly part of us, was a slave to what? Sin. The flesh was a slave to sin. And beloved, the flesh is still a slave to sin. If you're saved, your flesh is still a slave to sin. But you are not in your flesh anymore. Physically, you move in your body, but the flesh is not just our body. There's more to it. It is the earthly, carnal, corrupted part of us. But when Christ comes in, just like in baptism, right? We, are, we die with Christ. We're raised with Him. That's what baptism images. That's what it represents. We're born again. We're born into what? The Spirit. The Spirit. Is the Spirit a slave to sin? What? Let's test our memories. What specifically is the Spirit a slave to? Righteousness. Jeremy, that doesn't count. Jeremy's like the... No. <laughs> it's good. The Spirit is a slave to righteousness. That is your new identity. You are in the Spirit. You are a servant of righteousness. That is now your default. And all your old patterns, all your old ways, they're just deceptive. They're just lies now. As we're going to see today in verse 12, you are not obligated to the flesh to serve the desires of your flesh. You were. We used to be obligated, but not anymore. We're obligated to the Spirit. Because he is our life. Jesus is literally the life within us. There's no life in us without Christ. There's just an existence of death, of slavery to sin without Christ. That is the world. This is the glory of the gospel. This is the glory of being born again, of being made new. You have a new operating system. Just like Apple and Samsung or whatever you want to compare, they're different operating systems. They don't don't mesh. You're either operating in one or you're operating in the other. So Romans 8. We're going to read 1 through 17, kind of covering everything we've gone through thus far. Are you awake? Amen. God is here. Romans 8. Therefore, remember Paul's coming off of chapter 7. He's making a concluding statement here. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's who we are. We are those who walk according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. It is an enemy of God because it does not submit to God's law. The flesh does not submit to God's law. You may be trying your best. You may look really spiritual. You may have a lot of discipline, but if it's in the flesh, that is actually in opposition to God. Beloved, this is not just about your performance and how well you're doing. This is spiritual This is spiritual. Are you operating in the Spirit of God, trusting Him, resting in His grace, His power, His leading? Not just your effort, not just your performance. Because if you're just performing, if you're just trying really hard to be good, it's the flesh. Your flesh is deceiving you, and you're the hamster in the wheel. In the Spirit, we walk and live according to the Spirit, trusting the Spirit in each moment. Those who are in the flesh, verse 8, cannot please God. Be sober. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's no condition here. It's just straight up. Verse 9, you, however, Romans, Fresno Church, Those who believe in Jesus, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. Paul's declaring it. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Don't be deceived. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. The flesh will always serve sin. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Because you have the righteousness of Christ, there's life in you. Because you believe in Jesus. If the spirit of him, verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers, another concluding statement. This is where we're going to start today. Brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all those led by god's spirit are god's sons oh love verse 15 for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into what fear interesting choice of word there instead you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so we may also be glorified with Him. The message today is entitled, Empowered to Live. Empowered to Live. And our big idea, our kind of main point today is this that the spirit of god empowers us to live as beloved children of god as we are surrounded by our flesh the world and the onslaught of the enemy the spirit of god empowers us to live as beloved children even though in the midst of being surrounded by our flesh the world temptation the onslaught of the enemy the spirit empowers us to live Believe it today. Pray with me. Father, there is no glory in the flesh. There is no glory in man. Lord, receive all the glory today. Be seen, Father. Lord, as we behold the wonderful doctrine of adoption and what that means. Lord, unpack by your Spirit, unpack the riches of that to our minds today. I'm going to try with the feeble words that I can give to explain your holy, amazing, powerful word, but Lord, you make it come home in our hearts today. You make it have its work in us today. Tend the soil of our hearts that we might not just be hard soil where um, the seed doesn't go down, the word doesn't go down, it's, it's plucked away by the enemy as soon as we leave here or tomorrow. Lord, let our heart not be full of rocks or weeds that would choke out, that would cause us to stay shallow. But Lord, tend the soil. Rough it up so that the seed goes deep and it bears fruit in our life and we learn to rejoice in this. We learn to live without fear. We learn to live in holiness and the righteousness you have given us. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our minds. You're the faithful one. You're the good one. We love you. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, verse 12 starts with the two words. So then. This is where we're starting today, but it's a concluding statement. Okay? Here we begin again with a conclusion which reminds us of the type of literature we are reading this is not boring. Hold on just a second. This is a letter. This is not a narrative like Genesis or the Gospels, nor is this poetry like the Psalms or Proverbs. That's important. It shows us, it teaches us how we should read, how we should understand what we're reading. Romans is a letter written to a church in the city of Rome, and we drop in today to an argument Paul is making. We're dropping right into the middle of Paul's argument. He is teaching us something. In chapters 3 through 5, if you can remember back that far, all those months ago, Paul has explained the gospel to us and how it works. How we are saved. How Jesus' death means life for us. He's explained that in chapters 3 through 5. And then in chapter 6, Paul begins his arguments and drawing conclusions on how we should live in response to the gospel of chapters 3 through 5. Here in chapter 8, he is continuing those arguments and conclusions. So back to verse 12, as we've been talking about, well, what the gospel means is that we're in the spirit now, not in the flesh anymore. Paul says, so then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now that is so easy to say, is it not? But my, how the flesh seems to convince us otherwise that we indeed are obligated. No, I have to respond to this. I have to fix this. I have to look good. I have to be successful. I've got to have my way. No, no, you're not obligated to the flesh. This means there's no excuse. There's no excuse for our sin. Brothers and sisters, there's no excuse for our sin. Your temptations are not strong enough anymore to overcome you now that you are in the Spirit. The key reason why your temptations are not strong enough anymore, because you're in the Spirit of God. We need to learn to start living an honest confession with one another. So when we confess our sin to the Lord first, and then to each other, it is too easy to say things like, Man, I fell. I gave in. I messed up. And these are true statements when we sin. They're true. However, they don't accurately capture the reality that we are not obligated to the flesh and its demands. Phrasing things in these ways almost makes us the victim. As if when we sinned, something happened to us that made us sin. It's subtle. Oh, but it's there. It's there. Man, I messed up. Man, I fell. Those are true statements. We used to be obligated to the flesh before the Spirit's presence in us. But now when we sin, there's no part where we are the victim. That is hard to believe for some of us. That's hard for me to believe some of us, some of the time. Because I have believed so many lies that my sin overcomes me. Temptation is too strong. You know, whatever else. No, not in the Spirit It is something, sin is something we choose now. Let that sink in. Sin is something we choose. Because you're in the Spirit of God. You're not a victim to sin. You're not a victim to your struggle. You're not a victim. You're a victorious child. It's easier to believe you're a victim. It feels so much better. It feels so much better to take on the identity of a victim. Man, this is just who I am. I'm just, a, I'm just a screw up. I just, I just, it's... No! You chose your sin. You chose your... And this is not to condemn. This is to help us come into reality. You've been given the Spirit of God. When you choose sin, you're choosing it. You're choosing it. No one forced you to do anything. So when we confess our sin, we realize, I chose to mess up. I chose to give in. I chose to deny the Spirit and follow the flesh. Doesn't that sound so hopelessly harsh? What do you do? How do you recover after a statement like that? When you come to terms with your sin, and you realize, and you confess to the Lord, I chose to spit in Jesus' face. Again, this is not to make us feel like garbage. This is to help us understand the dirtiness and the evil nature of sin in all of its forms. The subtle pride, the subtle self-protective selfishness, the subtle sarcasm, not just the, you know, the murder and the adultery and whatever. No, sin in all of its forms. There's just, there's no good about it. There's no okayness with sin. It's okay is not our comfort after we confess and these statements of, man, this is what I've done when we come to terms. The power of the cross is our consolation. The mercy of our God and His kindness that does not run out on His children is our restoration after sin. Oh. Confessional statements like the ones I just read violently show us what our sin did to Christ on the cross and they show us how rich God's mercy and kindness truly are. Because, get this, how could I choose sin without excuse, without any excuse, and God still wants me? How could I choose sin without any excuse And God still loves me. And his love is not diminished in the slightest. Those are the subtle things that the flesh tries to get in there. Well, he loves you, but, 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 no. He loves you. There's no diminishing. His love for you has not lost any shine. That's amazing. That's amazing. After we come to terms with what our sin does. And the, and the horrible nature of it, that God's love and desire for you does not wane. It does not delay. It does not take a break until you get right. It is the waterfall that is always in spring. It never stops flowing. There's not enough snow to melt that would drain the waterfall. It, it will never stop. Ah. Oh. Because that's who God is. Do you see the magnificence and the majesty of the gospel in this? It causes us to give glory, thanksgiving, and worship to God. So, verse 13. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this verse paints the fearful reality. You cannot live in the flesh and according to the flesh and somehow serve and please God. It will not work in any scenario. The only result is death without exception. And death here is not simply physical death. This is death in the sense of being cut off from life. This is spiritual death, hell that's what this death is that's what the meaning of this is and I was really hoping that it didn't mean that I was really hoping it didn't mean that because it scares me that scares me why because aren't there still times that I live according to the flesh even though I have the spirit of God isn't that I don't know isn't that a natural question to ask when you read verse 13 Could this mean that my salvation phases in and out depending on how I'm doing? Depending on which operating system I'm using? That seems to be the likely conclusion I would draw. I have equated sinning with living according to the flesh. And that is where I went wrong. Even though that seems totally obvious. Yeah, you sin, you're living according to the flesh. Bam. My thinking is, I choose sin when I whatever, that means I'm living according to the flesh. Whenever I did whatever I did that was sin, that means I'm living according to the flesh. There's an understandable confusion here. Because we are not supposed to sin as spirit-filled, saved children of God. We're not supposed to. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense to sin. So, it's okay if we feel a little confused when we sin. That's what sin does to us. It confuses us, makes us lose sight of the promises of God. But just because we do sin, that does not mean we are living according to the flesh and our salvation is undone and we are going to hell. Maybe no one else comes to the conclusion like that, but that's that's the progression that my mind goes. A very dark journey, very fast. I sinned, that means I'm living according to the flesh. That means when I die, I can never know with certainty that I'm saved and I am just flipping a coin every day. That is a horrifying way to live. That is a horrifying way to live. It means we choose in that moment to live according to the flesh and we need to repent. Now, if we don't repent and continue in our sin, then we will have cause To take a deeper look and ask if we really have the Spirit. If you don't want to repent and you want to continue in your sin, then, brother, sister, what are you doing? You have just cause to consider to stop and ask yourself some very hard questions. Why do you want sin? Why are you holding on to it? We don't play around with sin, beloved. Verses 9, 14, and best of all 15 show us that verse 13 is descriptive, though. Because Paul tells us, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh. He reassures you. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. How do I know the Spirit of God lives in me? Because I trust in Christ. I can trust the simplicity of that. I can rely on the simplicity of that. I trust in Christ. I have His Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in me, then I am not in the flesh. Verse 14, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. If you're led by the Spirit of God, that means you're his child. And verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, when we come back to verse 13, we see it rightly as a descriptive verse. If you have the spirit, you will live according to the spirit. If you do not have the spirit, you will live according to the flesh. When you sin, you will repent. This describes our lives as believers. This is how we will live. There's an assurance in that. There's a safety in that. I trust that I have the spirit of God. That means that when I mess up and I choose in a moment to live according to the flesh, that I'm going to repent that He's going to pull me back. So who's my faith in now? Is it in my performance? Is it, is it in me to, to, to make sure I don't live in the flesh? No. My confidence turns and it's all in the Spirit, that the Spirit's going to draw me back again and again, that the Spirit's going to lead me to repentance, that the Spirit's going to lead me into life, into righteousness, into love. My faith is in Him. Open your eyes and believe the truth. If you trust in Christ, then trust His Word. You are not obligated to obey the fleshly desires and impulses wake up sleeper deny discouragement deny lust deny your pride you are dead to it believe it claim it and when we choose to sin we chip away at our confidence and hope as children of God notice that we do not chip away at our identity that is very important when we sin we chip away at our confidence we shoot ourselves in the foot. And yeah, we grieve God, which I'm going to get to. But, but our sin does not touch our salvation. That was one in Christ on the cross. Because indeed, sin is not fitting for a child of God. So it makes sense to question our identity when we sin. I'm not saying it's right to question, but it makes sense that we would. Because we've chipped away at our confidence in it. Is that making sense? Okay, praise God. That's why John says in 1 John 2, if, I've always wondered why he doesn't say when, if any man sins. We have an advocate with the Father. Sin is not fitting to us. So if you are questioning your salvation right now, or maybe you are confident you're not saved. Either way, the response is the same. Look to Jesus and trust in Him. The simplicity of that. He is our only confidence and assurance. You don't get assurance by trying to bargain and figure out, well, okay, I think I did this well, though, so I think that means I'm led by the Spirit, and, but I did this and I No! Just turn to Jesus again. Again and again and again. He is my assurance. He is my confidence. Um... I want to testify real quick here because weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting in our driveway in the car talking and I had a moment of clarity when I realized that for a long time, for a long time, I have had this belief sitting on the bottom of my heart and the back of my mind, subtle, diseased belief that I might not be saved. That maybe I am going to hell. There's a chance. Maybe I'm not a child of God. We'll see. A long time. And do you realize how that can sabotage? Sabotage is, is too nice of a word. How that can just eat away at hope, at joy. It sounds noble though. It sounds spiritual to some degree. Because I can't be too confident that I'm saved. What do I have to lose by believing that I'm saved and I'm being led by the Spirit of God? What do I have to lose? That I'm deceiving myself? That was my fear. Man, and I think ever since every all the craziness of last year happened, there was this terrible fear inside me that says, what if I'm going to deceive myself? What if I'm going to fall away? What if I'm going to give up? What if I'm going to, you know, be led astray? What if, Hunter? What if? Are you going to pull yourself back by freaking out and throwing away your joy and throwing away your hope, oh, that's going to keep you saved. That's going to keep you from being led astray. That's going to keep you sober-minded. That's what the Word says, right? Fear all the time that you might not be saved. Fear all the time that, you know, you might not be doing well enough. Man, maybe I'm speaking to someone in here today. No! No! I'm going to trust I'm going to believe, I'm going to see my doubt, and I'm going to have it take a seat, and I'm going to cling to Jesus and His Spirit, and I'm not going to let that belief sit there. I'm going to believe with assurance. I am a child of God, and I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to give any concession. Maybe that's weak. Maybe that's, oh, you're just afraid to face the reality of things. That's, that was me. Don't be afraid to face hard realities, Hunter. Maybe you're deceived. Maybe, you know, don't be afraid to face it. No, I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to let him worry about that. What am I going to do? Am I going to save myself? Am I going to keep myself saved? No. I didn't save myself and I'm not going to keep myself saved. I will trust in the Lord my rock, my redeemer. So what, hey man, come on, somebody give praise, man, because this isn't about me. This isn't about me. This is about the work of God. Do you see it? This is what we testify with each other. This is what fellowship looks like. It looks like you sharing the work of God in your life, not just letting me do it and dominate the stage. So what it looks like for me to trust God is establishing again and again, my salvation is in the hands of Christ. I will not accept the doubt that maybe I'm not saved because of X, Y, Z. And X, Y, Z can be a lot of crazy different, you know, gymnastic, deceptive, manipulative things in my mind that convince me to not trust Jesus. I am choosing to believe I have the Spirit of God because of God's mercy, not because I'm doing well and the sacrifice of Christ, and I will move forward in that confidently, not hesitantly, is if I need to be careful. No. No. That's fear. That's fear. I am believing, verse 14, that the Spirit really is leading me. And this, this is the freedom I've been living in this week. I'm not going to play the game of wondering whether the Spirit is leading me or not. Oh, prison, chains, I'm choosing to believe he's leading me and he is with me. When you do this, sin blows off the dashboard. There's no room for it. I am in the spirit. No sin belongs whatsoever. Do you see how this assurance sobers us? Because if I'm convinced I'm a child of God, I'm not going to consider sin. I'm not going to accept its presence in my life. If you are pondering the presence of sin in your life and you're bargaining with it, and you're playing with sin in your life, you're playing with your assurance and confidence as a child of God. You're treating your assurance as a trivial thing when it is a most beautiful treasure. And let me tell you something, after this week, assurance of my sonship to God is a beautiful treasure. It is priceless. It is costly. It was bought with my Savior's blood. And when I, when I play with sin, I'm treating that assurance that he's given me as something trivial. Because I chip away at my assurance. I'm not touching God's love for me. I'm not touching his acceptance and approval of me, which is crazy. Because we want to believe that when we sin. No. But I am chipping away at my confidence in him. And, 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 my, and my chi- me being a child of his. <laughs> the spirit of God has empowered you to live for the glory of Almighty God, and this includes the power to deny the flesh and walk in faith and obedience to the spirit's leading. Now, let's look in detail at verse 15. This wonderful, wonderful verse of hope. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, "Abba, Father." Let me start by saying this, learn, learn to identify the voice of fear in your day-to-day. Not just in the big things, in the big decisions, and the big problems. No, in your day-to-day, in the littlest things, in the littlest interactions, the relationships. Learn to I- identify where fear has a foothold in all of those things. Because, wow, fear can look really spiritual sometimes. Oh, it makes me mad, kind of. How deceptive and, and disgusting fear is. Well, I don't want to offend that person. I don't want to come off as judgmental. I don't want to, I don't want them to think whatever spiritual thing about me is not spiritual. Whatever. If I don't this, then I will miss God's will. If I do this, then I'll miss God's will. All fear. Those are fear statements. Those are fear statements in your life. And and get this, I love Zach Williams, but fear isn't always a liar. Okay? Fear isn't always a liar. Sometimes your fear will come true. Exactly what you fear will happen. I've seen it in my life. But fear basically always lies about how bad it will be and what the consequences of whatever happening will be. Fear lies about the hopelessness aspect. Here's the point. Whether the fear is real or not, it's not from the Spirit and it's not from your Father. That's what's important. I don't care if the fear, how real the fear is. Oh, it's not just a fear, it's reality. Fine. Do away with the fear aspect and just live in the reality of whatever you're fearing. The source matters. God did not give you a spirit of slavery so you would continue operating in fear according to the voice of fear. No. Fear is what God called us out of. So however spiritual the voice may sound that leads you into the slavery of fear, and performance-focused living, resisted in the power and the confidence of the Spirit. That is the flesh in disguise, trying to protect itself in some way. No. And that deserves an illustration, an example, which I don't think I have time to get into. But that idea that the flesh is like, well, let me, let me use spiritual language to describe and, and to, you know, spiritualize this fear I'm having. That I need to do this so that this doesn't happen. That I need to make sure I do this so that that happens or this result is produced or that. These, no, it's all fear. It's all flesh. It's all bad. All bad. That's fear. You received a very different spirit from God. The spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. Adoption was a serious thing in the Roman world. It's not too much different from adoption nowadays, but this is the picture and the context that Paul has in mind when he uses this word. When a man adopted a son, he became his son. (laughs) As I go through this practical illustration, think of the spiritual meaning. When a man adopted a son that person became his son. When God adopted you, you became his child. You became his child by blood because of the blood of Jesus. You're not a stranger. You're not a second rate member of God's household. This is hard to believe because it is so amazing This idea of adoption is just, our flesh can't handle it. It's too good. It's too good. And, oh. The son carries on the family name. The father takes over any debts the adopted son previously owed. The father becomes responsible for the adopted son in all aspects as if he were his biological child. Paul is intentional here with this picture. That is us with God. That is you with the God of the universe. Not simply slaves, servants, disciples, followers, or friends, but sons. Sons. And yes, ladies, just like guys, just like us us men are the bride of Christ, you ladies are sons of God. We have sonship. And as, God, as sons of God, we cry, Abba, Father. What is this? We've looked at this. We've seen this. We've heard so many things. You know, Abba, Daddy, Dad, that intimate closeness with the Father. This is a fearful thing because it is so awesome. It is wondrous. It is, it is a it is it is something you approach with trembling because of how good it is the same intimacy jesus has with his father think about that if you can the same intimacy is the intimacy we are invited into again i'm like is this heresy can this be true Can this really be true? Astoundingly, utterly astonishing. This is the Spirit of God within you. He marks you as the beloved, adopted child of God. There is no fear in the Father's presence but the fear of awe and worship. That is the only fear we have before God. It is a fear of rejoicing. Like that song we sing, Rejoice, and with trembling, Rejoice. It's that idea, not because we're scared of our Father, but because we are blown away by our God. We are screaming on the roller coaster of His goodness. Do you see that? That good, pure, right, holy, untainted fear of God. That's the only fear that belongs. Oh, oh, the flesh is sick. What's going on in your life right now? What is in your mind right now that belittles and compartmentalizes the astounding wonder of this truth? What's happening in your brain? Well, that's great for Sunday morning in a church service, but what does that have to do with watching the game later today or heading to work tomorrow or the suffering and trial you may be facing or whatever monotonous, seemingly unspiritual thing that life holds? What does this have to do with any of that? It means intimacy closeness with the living God who is here right now who is the only reason I can speak the truth is anything blessing you today it is God it is the presence of God with us I don't have to try to hype it up and make it amazing we need to open our eyes because it is amazing we gather because God's amazing We gather because God's amazing. Intimacy with the living God and worship of Him overflows into all the stuff I mentioned. It overflows into watching the game later. It overflows into your Monday morning. It overflows into you getting up with a mind that is foggy and just trying to get coffee so you can, like, think. Intimacy with God is right there. It's right there. Your beloved Father pouring over His, pouring out His love and kindness, His smile upon you as His adopted, beloved child. I'm not trying to dress this up. Hear that. I am very wary of trying to dress things up and make them look better than they appear. No! This is so much better than I could ever explain. Oh, that Paul says you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's too wonderful. Like David said, it's, you're too wonderful. It's, it's high. I cannot, I can't attain it. This is too good. This is too good. Let's just worship in it. Let's just receive it. Let's just relish in it today. Thank you, God. Thank you for making us your children. I will not fear because the Spirit is always with me and is always leading me. What a belief. My Father always loves me without interruption forever. Let that follow you this afternoon and Monday. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's it right there. Your Father loves you always forever without interruption. There's not like a, boop, it dropped off there, but it was back real quick. No, just never Never ceases. Believe it. Just believe it. That's how. That's how you receive it. That's how you enjoy it. You just trust. You trust. That's all you can do is fall into the truth. Just don't deny it. Don't deny the truth. Receive it. Verse 16 and 17. Let's kind of start wrapping this up. I've already gone too long. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our Spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. Now, there's an element of mystery to verse 16. How does the spirit testify with our spirit? How does that work? It's hard to nail it down specifically and definitively. It's most likely the inner conviction we experience at times that God is near when there's just a knowing. It's not just a feeling, there's a knowing. God is here. I am loved. I am safe in Him. It's a belief. It's a knowing, an assurance, a conviction within us that that this is true. It's the conviction of the Spirit that causes us to know something is true. There's a mystery to that. There's something in you. There's a conviction in you that just knows His Word is true. There's something in you that just knows, I love so-and-so. It's deeper than a feeling. It's a knowing. It's the Spirit testifying with your spirit that you're a child of God. You're a child of God. Man. And my, what beautiful moments those are. This does not mean if you experience doubt that somehow this isn't true for you and you're not a child of God. Doubts will come. And they will stay lingering in the shadows and they will pass as we search and hold to the truth. And the Spirit has always given you strength to find the truth. The truth is never out of reach. The truth is never out of reach. No matter how dark it feels, no matter how lost you feel, the truth is never out of reach. It's right there. Your Father's right there. He's so close. He's closer than the pain. Believe that. Speaking to myself. Now, oh my soul. But Paul continues to unpack the riches of adoption in verse 17. He says, he explains that if we are God's children, that means we're God's heirs. We inherit everything that belongs to our Father. What belongs to God? Everything. What do we inherit? you believe that that truth is way too amazing to fathom right now not even going to try okay but i'm going to move past it quickly for a sec do you see how paul is emphasizing the reality of our adoption here this actually happened you were actually adopted by the father it's not just a metaphor it keeps playing out we will inherit the world and heaven and all things because god is our father it's not like we have to wait for god to die to receive the inheritance. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, let no man boast in men because all things are yours, Corinthians. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Life, death, things present, things to come, the world, it's all yours. It's all yours. All things belong to our brother Christ and we are in him. So all things belong to us we inherit it all right along with Jesus again astounding this is this and this incredible inheritance is only as good get this it's only as good as it serves to help us see the beauty and wonder of God himself the inheritance is a side piece meant to display the wonder of God himself to us it is the frame god is the substance the Father is the ultimate inheritance. What more could we need? Who needs the whole world when you have the Father? Yeah, it's great. We can all say yes and amen here in a church service. Um, but there are going to be times where you're going to actually wrestle with that, cre- with that question. When maybe the world is a piece of the world is offered to you. And in that moment, the question, who needs the world when you have the Father, Actually, let me consider this for a second here. Blindness and deception will cause us to weigh and consider such a silly choice. It'll come. Your flesh is weak. You'll feel it. You'll hear the temptation. You'll hear, wow, man, that, that sounds really good, actually. Don't. You're going to inherit the whole world and heaven and everything. why 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 spring for it now we are co-heirs with christ we the undeserving ones rule and inherit right along with the true son of god you want to talk about unfair that's unfair kindness grace mercy and abundant generosity beyond calculation right there just poured out on us we didn't die on a cross for nobody he died on a cross for us, and we get to inherit everything right along with Jesus, our Savior. We get to rule with Him. No, that ain't right. That ain't fair. But that's Ephesians. God did all this to show us His kindness for all of eternity, for all eternity to welcome us and say, Hey, this is how much I love you. This is how kind I am. What a good God. What a good God. Not a mean God. Not a a demeaning, you know, I don't know what other words. But what a kind God. What a good Father we have. But this condition at the end, notice this. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. To be a co-heir with Christ doesn't mean we sit on the throne and enjoy sonship together and then leave Jesus alone when it's hard. We get to share. We we get. I am such a hypocrite. We get to share in the sufferings of our Savior. And Paul considered this a high, high honor in Philippians. Philippians 3.10. My goal, Paul says, is to know Him. Not just that. This is what that involves. And the power of His resurrection. Amen. And the fellowship of His sufferings. Being conformed to his death now this passage is taking a turn here in romans which we're going to venture into next time so i'm not going to focus on suffering in length right now we're not going to go into a whole other topic but let me ask why this is not for an answer why did jesus suffer think about it why did he suffer and further why does paul want to share in that suffering and why should we want to by nature nobody wants suffering. And this Paul isn't a masochist, just loves pain. No, that's not what Paul is talking about. Jesus suffered and and in a slightly different way, Jesus still continues to suffer in heaven because he loves sinners. Because, are you with me? Are you still awake? I know I'm long. I was really trying this week. My clock condemns me. God, have mercy. I keep, I keep, I'm I not changing, though. I keep saying, you guys, I'm going to be shorter. And Spirit, have your way. I can't blame this on the Spirit. Don't let me do that. <laughs> man all right <laughs> jesus loves the ones that hurt him he loves the beings that choose death and evil over him that's us that's us jesus suffers because he loves jesus suffers because He loves. Our Savior still feels with us in His lofty place at the right hand of the Father. And the Father is united with Jesus in this empathy and feeling. God allows our sin to grieve Him. God allows our sin to grieve Him. That when you sin, God does feel it. God is grieved. Remember what Paul says? Grieve not the Spirit of God. Why would he say that if we couldn't grieve? If our sin was, you know, just God was untouched, unconcerned. No, our sin actually hurts. God, the one that loves us. Jesus suffers because he loves. So how do we share in the sufferings of Christ. We suffer the sins of others because we love Christ and because Christ loves them. So suffer with the Savior. It's His pain first, then yours. Wrestle with that. That is a very deep concept. When you consider very dark, vile things that happen in our world and very dark and vile things that have happened to you in this room to really believe that Jesus Jesus gets first impact that it hits him first every sin hits Jesus in the face before it hits you hang on to that hang on to that let it it teach you how, how much Jesus cares for us how in this with uh, how with us in this life he is, how close he is. He's not just untouched by the suffering and sin that we go through. No, he feels it. When we're when we are wrong, he's wronged first. Remember, David committed adultery, killed the woman's husband in this messed up way. Because you don't really kill someone in a non messed up way. And then he says, oh God, against you and you only have I sinned. Hits, hits the face of Jesus before it hits us. We get the residual. Think about that because I'm not diminishing your sin. I'm, I'm expanding it and I'm saying, hey, yeah, as, as hard as it was, as bad as it feels, it, it, Jesus takes it First. He took it on the cross. We experience the secondary pain of it. Let that give you perspective, beloved. Let it show you that the suffering, let it show you the suffering of our Savior. Glory is coming and it's coming soon. Next time, Paul's going to dive deeper into our suffering and how it can't compare to the glory that's coming for us. Even we saw a taste of the inheritance. While we wait, we live empowered by the Spirit of God. We live We don't just exist by default with the rest of humanity getting by the best we can. We are empowered by God's Spirit alive in us to be examples of the true life in this world. Let's go back to our main statement. The Spirit of God empowers us to live as beloved children of God as we are surrounded by our flesh, the world, and the onslaught of the enemy. We can't overcome the Spirit of God. You, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world, Jesus tells us. Make a decision today to trust the Spirit is desiring to lead you, and then follow Him. This doesn't mean He's going to take you over like a ventriloquist or something. It means He's leading you when you're not even aware, and you're actively believing that as you seek to please your Father in all things. And may God help us. Father, thank you for your word today. It is true. It is comfort. We are